Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the work um, that you have been doing through Sarah's house, for the many who have been blessed through their work and their ministry, for the women who are there now and receiving their services and care now. Lord, would you guide them? Would you care for them? Would they know that they are loved and that they are cared for by you? And Lord, would you help them as they journey forward in life, learning new skills, as they look toward a better hope for their future and for the future of their children? Lord, would you bless their work? And Lord, we ask that again that you would be with us as we continue through our service this morning. Be with us as we delve into the scriptures. Be with us as we ask you, what would you have us do as your followers? What would you have us do as your church? Lord, be with us as we go to the scriptures this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, not too long ago, it was the Rose Parade, right? It's, I mean, that was a couple weeks ago. But it takes place kind of close to my neck of the woods. I used to live right along the route, the Rose Parade route. We live a little bit further from that now. Uh, but how many of you watched the Rose Parade on TV? Wow, still a lot of us are watching it on TV. It's nice to get those like commercial-free coverage and then it repeats again. So it's nice to be able to see that. And it's something so amazing about the Rose Parade is that there's all these flowers and seeds and grasses and things that people have to painstakingly put on these floats. Uh, this was one of my uh, favorite floats from a few years ago. Uh, it's become a family tradition of ours because we live so close to it to go be one of those people that goes and looks at the floats after the parade because they get parked over there actually right next to our kids' school. And so we go over there and we check out the floats and we get to go up close and see the details and the intricacies of how it was made. Can you imagine having to put one of these floats together on your own? It would be nigh impossible. First of all, you'd have to get all the materials. And somehow you'd have to figure out how to keep them all fresh, right? I mean, because there's flowers. They're going to die, right? So you've got to work quickly. You've got to work overnight because there's nobody else there to help you. You've got to figure out how to make this all work. You've got to have an artistic plan. You have to create the sculpted base or whatever else these things are going to be stuck onto. It would be an impossible task. There's a reason why putting together Rose Parade floats takes large teams. First of all, there has to be somebody that puts together the artistic vision, the idea of what this thing is going to be. And then many hands participate, right? It's as that adage goes, many hands make light work. When people come together and work in concert and build something, share a common vision, and contribute to something like a piece of art, the results can be compelling and fulfilling. This morning, we're going to continue our series through the book of Nehemiah to learn what it is for us as Christ followers, what it means for us as Christ followers to participate in building for the kingdom of God, to participate in what God is doing here in Simi Valley. Now, in chapter 1, we learned that Nehemiah begins the whole process with prayer. And then in chapter 2, we were reminded that it is God who provides for and gives us confidence to participate in God's work. And in this morning, we're going to peer into Nehemiah's chapter 3 
and 4. And we're going to find that in order for a community to build for the sake of God's kingdom, it's going to require an all-hands-on-deck sort of approach to church and ministry. All-hands-on-deck. We need everyone to participate and be a part of what we are building here. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, at least in terms of how many verses are here in the passage. Um, And I'll be honest, some of the story... Well, let's try. It's not the most exciting. Let let um, Let me start. Eliashib... The high priest and his fellow priests went to work to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. This goes on for many verses. And over and over again, so-and-so built this. So-and-so helped with this wall. There was this section. They helped with this one. Some other people from this place helped with this part. Some people helped with this gate. Oh, there was some problem here. So these people came and helped with this part. That's pretty much all of chapter 3. Okay? If I spent time reading the whole thing in detail, many of you, first of all, would be bored. Some of you might take a nap. Others of you might be interested, but not because you're interested in the text. You might be interested in how many times I'm going to mess up names, like Meshezabel and Hashabaniah. So to spare us all and to spare myself, we're going to touch more, instead of going through it verse by verse, we're going to touch on a few of the themes, the ideas that we gain from looking at Nehemiah's chapter 3 and 4. And I would encourage you at some point to open your Bible and sit there and actually read it because you wonder, why? Like, we we believe that the Bible has something to say to us and is important in our lives, but then we come to passages like this or other things in, like, Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers. Good heavens, the book of Numbers. It's it's Numbers. I mean, how inspiring and spiritually inspiring can that be? But there's actually a lesson to be had there And if we look at it with the right lens, it can be inspiring. It can teach us important things, and we're going to touch on some of that today. As we look at Nehemiah's chapter 3 and chapter 4, there's an all-hands-on-deck sort of approach to rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And I think that there's a few dimensions of this attitude, this approach to teamwork that I think is worthwhile for us to look at. And the first is to look at the breadth of the involvement. If you just take a quick look at Nehemiah chapter 3, you get this sense, name after name, place after place, gate, this gate, this wall, that section of wall. It keeps on getting listed. And there is an account of all of these people who pitched in, who said, I'm going to spend time to help move rubble because the walls had been destroyed. I'm going to pitch in and carry beams. I'm going to pitch in and help set stones upon other stones. A lot of people pitched in. And what's more, when you move into chapter 4, the people are starting to become harassed. As you remember from the past 
uh, past messages, there, were some, there was some opposition, particularly from this guy named Sanballat and another guy named Tobiah. They really didn't like these people coming back and rebuilding the city. And so they started harassing them, and some even started creating fights, you know, just scuffles, things to kind of dissuade them from being a part of this process. But more and more people keep on getting added to this project because it was a huge project. A lot of people had to be involved. Now, it's easy for us, again, as I said, to skip over chapters like Nehemiah chapter 3. But it's important to us because it illustrates that the task of building something, building Jerusalem or building something here in Simi Valley, takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of folks to pull off what we're trying to pull off here as a church, right? Last week, we, you know, the staff and I engaged in a little exercise in our staff meeting, and we wrote down a list of names of people here in this church that are involved in different things, leading different committees or teams, some of which have no official title, and just kind of figuring out who's responsible for what. And the list was really long. Why is that? It is because even here at this church, and you should be commended for this, as a church, there are a lot of people involved here, a lot of people serving here at church. That's not the case in every church. Let me assure you that. You guys are doing really well. Whether it's participating in buying donuts or helping oversee transitions in the tech stuff or helping with some of the computers when there's computer problems or helping move tables around. People are getting involved and people serve. And yet, there is a lot more work to be done. You see, it's not just the sheer numbers of people that is important here in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4. It's not just the breadth, but it's the depth of their involvement. People were personally invested in what they were doing. As we said before, the building of the wall wasn't necessarily a thing simply about security, and we're going to touch on that a little bit more in a little bit. It was about identity for a city, because any respectable city in the ancient world had city walls. They weren't necessarily just for defense. They were, in some ways, a status to say, this is an actual city, because not actual cities didn't have walls. Actual cities did, and so they needed to have one. As an identity as a people group, the people of Israel understood that they were intended to be a city on the hill, metaphorically, shining and demonstrating God or God's way to neighboring nations. And they needed a city from which to do that. And because it was so wrapped up in who they understood themselves to be, they were all in. Nehemiah in chapter 4, verse 6 says, the people worked with all their heart. They gave it their all. They were fully invested, not only the numbers of people, but the degree to which they wanted to be involved and wanted to serve. Because attitude and passion matter when we think about being involved in church. The Rams game is coming up. I'm fully aware of that. But imagine what Coach Sean McVay would be thinking if there was a player on that team today, in today's game, 
who's just kind of mailing it in because he's under contract and he's getting a paycheck. I don't think the coach would be so happy about that, right? You don't want to go into one of the most important games and have one of the people on your team kind of phoning it in because, oh, yeah, I'm here, I'm involved, I'm helping out. You know, I put on the uniform. But then not to have the heart and passion to be involved. It would totally change the way that that person sees involvement in that team, and it would change the way that the team sees that person's involvement in the team. The coach would probably keep them sidelined. The picture we receive in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4 is a community of people that really is all in, that gave their heart to their work, that gave their heart to rebuilding Jerusalem. It was widespread, the involvement, and it was deep. Now, when I talk about taking on the task of building church, I'm not saying that, you know, we in particular are more, you know, not deep or not enough for us are involved. I'm saying in general, what does it mean for Christians to be involved and to be serving in church? And for all of us, that means to be in it with our whole hearts, to ensure that when we're serving, we, we serve with gusto and passion, with conviction. Many of us might, in a moment of honest self-assessment, recognize that there are times when we just kind of mail it in, right? Some of you, and God bless you, serve with our kids. You could be honest. There are times when you're over there in the Sunday school room and you're just kind of mailing it in. You're just kind of hanging out with them and waiting for the time to pass. It happens. Sometimes we get involved and we're moving things around and we just move chairs because we got to move chairs. Or I sign up to serve in this way because, well, there was a hole and I need to fill it. There's a different way of looking at serving than just filling in the holes. Because just filling in the holes is more like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, there's nobody else to do it, I'll do it. There's a different attitude when we come to something and say, you know what? I want to go serve in that children's room because I want to invest in their spiritual growth. And that means playing with them and helping them have a fun time at church so that as they grow, they associate church with fun. Maybe it's that when you are serving as an usher or a greeter, that's so critically important because you think about how you are ushering people and inviting people in to experience the love of God. That's different from just sitting there and saying hi, right? There's something that happens in our internal disposition, the way that we look at our own involvement that is spiritually forming for us because it commits us to our purpose. It commits us to our vision. How might your experience in church be different, first of all, if you're not actively serving, if you did become active in serving at church? How would your experience of church change? Or how would your experience of church change if whenever you served, you did it with an all-in sort of attitude? How might our experience as a church, as a church body, as a family, change if our whole community was marked by that kind of breadth and depth 
of involvement. Feel free to daydream. It's a beautiful picture. Imagine what it would be like. In Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4, we see that there's a breadth of involvement and a depth of involvement. But another dimension to that is the diversity of the tasks that are taken on by this community. Not only were there many people involved and intent in doing so, people weren't all doing the same thing. All throughout chapter 3, we see that there's a record of people taking care of different parts of the wall. I mean, that's one of the ways that you can look at it as you read it. It's amazing. These people took care of this. These people took care of this. These people did this. These people did this. Eventually, as hecklers and people were coming to cause trouble and fight them, Nehemiah decided, okay, we're going to have to post guards. And so some people were guards, and they stood there to make sure that the people who were clearing the rubble didn't get messed with. And so everybody was getting involved, and the tasks were diverse. Sanballat and Tobiah had other plans, and they were up to no good. But because people were taking care of all of their own different parts, the project continued, and God gave them success. In Nehemiah, starting in, in, in chapter 4, starting in verse 16, Nehemiah starts to describe that half of the folks were all involved in building, and half of them were involved in keeping everybody safe. There were people who were clearing rubble, moving supplies. Some were helping as organizers. Some were simply there as helpers. But everybody was pitching in and doing all sorts of different kinds of things. A diversity of tasks. As many of you know, uh, Maureen and I have four kids. That's too many kids, I'm just going to (laughs) say. I love them all. I wouldn't want any of them to go away, but that's too many kids. Some of you have even more, and Lord bless you. Uh, But whether you have many or none or never plan to have kids, I think you can understand that our house, in order for it to be clean, takes everybody doing their own little part, right? I mean, we would clean all day, my wife and I, if our kids didn't pitch in. It'd be impossible. I've taken every once in a while, this is just completely non sequitur, every once in a while, when I find dirty socks on the floor, I pick it up and put it in the appropriate child's backpack so that they would discover it the next day at school. And they'd be reminded, yeah, I should pick that up. (laughs) Everybody needs to do their part or else our house is going to be constantly a mess. We've got four kids and one of them, the toddler, she doesn't know how to clean up after herself. I mean, she sings that wonderful song, clean up, clean up, everybody do your share, but she doesn't do her share. Okay, but the other three, they've got to participate. Some people have to help with this. And so we've kind of gotten into this system. After dinner, one of the two older kids helps make sure that all the plates get over to the sink and are scraped off, you know, so if there's any extra food, or rinse them off. Another of the older kids loads the dishwasher. The younger of the three boys is responsible for wiping the table clean, and my wife or I is with Annabelle, the toddler, And sometimes we kind of shuffle this around. One of us is supervising. One of us helps clean the pots and pans that we know that our kids will never do a good job with. And so we all pitch in and we make it work. Now, there are many nights where our ideal, which is what I just described to you, does not happen. And what happens? The kitchen's a mess. 
everybody has to find their niche, their way of participating in the task. Now, in the case of my family and the dinner table, it's just for our own sanity. Let's have a clean house and have a clean kitchen and a clean dining room table. In church, it's kind of the same deal. We all need to do our part. We are all invited to participate and find our niche. What is it that you are good at? What gifts has God given you so that you can serve? If you love hanging out with kids, maybe you have grandchildren and hanging out with your grandchildren lights up your life and you enjoy doing that, maybe serving with the kids is the way to go. Maybe you are a strong person and you have a good back. I don't have a good back. But maybe you've got a good back and you want to be one of those people that can really help move heavy objects around the church campus. Sometimes that's needed. We all find our ways to contribute, to lean into our passions, to serve in our own way. There's a range of tasks here at this church, and many of them are filled. At the same exercise last week with the staff, I said, could you, if you had sort of a magic wand, what would be some things that you would love a volunteer to step up and take care of? Because we don't have enough time to take care of it. And they sat and they thought and they came up with a few ideas and then they came up with a few more and then a few more. The tasks of doing church are many. To build something here as a community, to enter a new season as a church of growth and flourishing, it takes a lot of us to be involved doing a diversity of tasks. And there's a third dimension to that. Notice that the large number of folks were involved and they were doing a lot of things, but if they were just doing a lot of things and a lot of people were involved, you could imagine a case where people would just be building one section of wall with one kind of rock, and then somebody else will be building a section of wall with a different kind of rock, and then when they came together, it wouldn't match. There was a unity of purpose, a unity of direction. Nehemiah was the director, he was the governor, so to speak, in that time, and so they had a vision of what the city was going to be like. They planned it. They worked together to figure out what would be the best, the optimal plan. But they worked together, and they did so with gusto because they knew where they were going. They knew what they were accomplishing. They were building the wall of Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, just to talk a little bit about what a wall in Jerusalem meant, a wall in Jerusalem was not necessarily to keep people out. You see, you see, as the people were coming here in Jerusalem, and people were, the remnant was returning to, to Israel, they were trying to come back to the laws that God had given Moses for them to follow, which they had failed to follow, hence their exile. If you look through the Deuteronomic Code and through the Levitical Code, it becomes very clear that when it comes to interacting with people who were on the outside that the people of Israel were supposed to be gracious and inviting. In Leviticus chapter 19, God tells his people that you should treat 
your foreigner in your midst as your native born. In other words, you should take care of the people who come to your doorstep. So the walls in Jerusalem, I know walls are a very sensitive topic right now. It's a source of a whole lot of consternation, and I get that, and I'm not picking a political side right now. All I'm saying is that the wall in Jerusalem is nothing like the kind of wall that we're fighting over today in our country. For them, it meant to create a space that would represent God, to create a space that would build on something so that other people would know that God was there, so other people would know who God was through their lifestyle and through their actions, which included caring for the widow, the sick, the orphan, and caring for the foreigner in their midst. It was built into the law of Moses, and they were returning to that. So they had a purpose. They had an identity that they were striving toward, and so they pushed forward together. For sure, in the life of the church, your pastor, your pastoral staff, your leadership team together work together to kind of chart where that vision will be, that direction that a church is going to go. But generically speaking, without getting into specifics of what it means here at Simi Valley, every church's goal and purpose is to make God known. That's what it is. We talked about that months ago, that engaging in the mission of God or to be a church is to make God known to others, to participate in what Jesus had done and to participate in what God is doing here on earth. We're kind of rehashing that series of messages as we go through Nehemiah because the purpose is to build something together, to represent God together. How could we do that as a community? What does it mean to have unity of purpose? Well, you might ask yourself, you may, many of you are involved in various different ministries, so you might ask yourself, how does the ministry that I'm involved in help people know God? How does what we do in setting up coffee help people experience God? How does what we do in men's and women's ministries point people to Jesus? How does what we do invite people who do not know Jesus to come and experience the love and grace and to, again, hearken back many messages ago, to experience the lavish and extravagant love of God? What is it that each of our ministries is doing to make that possible? That is our goal, right? We want people to come and know Jesus and worship God with us. And if that is our goal, then how does each of our ministries contribute to that? It is easy in church over a period of time, especially if you've been in the same ministry and serving in the same way over years and years, to just sort of settle into a way of doing things because this is how we've always done them. It's easy to settle into, well, you know, here in this ministry, we kind of do this. And we rationalize and come up with kind of circuitous ways to find how our thing fits into the bigger picture. But when we're honest with ourselves, really, we're just kind of off doing our own thing. We cannot build church like that. You cannot build together in unity if that's how we function. We have to function with a unity of purpose. Take stock of the ministries that you're involved in. If you sing with the band or you play music, how does what you do draw people to Jesus? 
We can ask ourselves that question across the whole gamut of the ways in which we serve. Whether it's counting offering, helping with keeping the campus safe. There are so many things that so many people do, but how does what you do point to our shared purpose and identity? Nehemiah rallied officials, nobles, workers to a common task. They shared it and they worked together in concert to build something. I've been around a lot of churches, and most churches, a lot of them, share a similar struggle. And that is how easy it is for ministries and ministry teams to build their own silos. I mean, it's a building project. They work hard, and we work hard to create our thing. But then you look at the landscape, and instead of a unified wall, you get this building over here, this building over here, and this building over here. What we're hoping to do here at Simi Covenant Church, and what I hope churches, not just our church, but many of the churches here in this area and beyond are trying to do, is not to build our own silos but to create something together that works together in unity. You are invited to be a part of this. To be invi- you're invited to be a part of this all-hands-on-deck sort of approach. Imagine if you were putting together a rose parade float, and this is another one of my favorites. It's cartoon-ish. There's animals. They're all involved in the construction site. But what if there was one of those teams out there that was supposed to be on this project, and they were in the building, and like, oh, this looks really cool, let's do this. Oh, wait, this is really nice, let's do this. And instead, they plop into this a fighter jet. And they're like, hey, here's our part. Well, it didn't fit. I mean, it's beautiful. It's very well done. It's very nice. But it didn't fit the vision, right? We were invited to be hands in, all hands on deck, for the same purpose, working toward the same goal to make God known here at Simi Covenant Church. And you are invited to be a part of that process. I want to invite you. If you are not yet involved in church, would you consider, prayerfully consider, how you can get involved? You may say, I don't have a lot of time. But you know what? There are some tasks that don't take a whole lot of time. How might you be involved? What does it look like for you to be all in? What does it look like for you to be all in in the sense that you are more passionate about what you're doing? Perhaps serving in church has kind of lost its luster. It's become a little bit stale and you need to be refreshed. Or perhaps you need to look for a change of scenery, so to speak. You've been serving in the same way for a long time, and maybe just to jumpstart you a little bit, it's time to try something new. On the back of your card, there's some suggestions of things that you might want to consider. And again, these are suggestions. Um, Because these do have to do with being involved in church, uh, we may follow up with you to kind of 
touch base with you if you are interested in being involved in different ways or getting to know how you can get involved. But you can check some of those boxes or you can reflect by yourself without checking a box. That's fine. About what does it mean for you to be all in? How can you serve here at church? Building a wall in Jerusalem took all of them. Building for the kingdom here takes all of us. Let's be all in together as we build for the future of this church. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I confess that I really have no idea what ways each person here is called to serve and to be involved. I confess that in my limited amount of time here at Simi Covenant, that I don't know if there are many or a few or some who are burning out, who are maybe in a ministry that's just kind of doing its own thing. So Lord, this is not a time for us to guilt us into anything, but God, I pray that you would speak to us each in our own way, wherever we're at. Lord, would you help us to be all in? Lord, I sense that you are doing something here in this church community, that there's an energy here, there's a vibrancy that you are stirring here in this community. And God, would you stir it in such a way that we all get stirred into it and we all move in the same direction so that you would be made known and glorified here in Simi Valley. Lord, would you build your church through us? Draw us into your service, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.